Que pasa Mufasa? Ni hao konnichiwa jumbo. That's Swahili for y'all. What's up? Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. We've got Paul Nolan in the house today, an acclaimed international music producer, and he's got a record coming out tomorrow, July 28th, and that is called Dissolve with Microdose Music. I met Paul in Miami last year and saw him put on an absolutely magnificent gem of a live concert experience, and I understand he will be doing so again this year out in Miami in November. Shout out Wonderland. Shout out Microdose Music. This is the second time Paul's been on the podcast, and he is a true audiophile, a truly devoted music producer, and a master of the craft with a multi-decade career in the music industry to boot. If you can't tell, I'm pumped to have Paul back on the podcast, and I'm pumped because I'm headed to Budapest this weekend for the Ozora Festival, a 30,000-person psychedelic tribal gathering where I'm going to be hosting and speaking on one of the stages. I have zero expectations, but I am super, super excited for the opportunity. Thanks to all of you for choosing to listen to Mycopreneur. If it wouldn't be too much to ask, please go rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. It's super helpful in boosting the podcast so that new listeners can discover it and they can find out cool things about microdose music and producers like Paul Nolan and mushroom entrepreneurs micropreneurs the world over without further ado let's get the show on the road okay pasa mufasa paul nolan of microdose music back on the podcast paul you've got a new album coming out shortly and that is called dissolve dropping on july 28th so welcome back to the podcast paul how's everything going in england today an absolute pleasure to be back on the podcast for round two dennis as you're sipping your espresso and we're on opposite sides of the Atlantic. Things are good here. It's actually, the sun has actually come out for the first time this summer in Liverpool, probably in England, full stop. You know, it's the opposite. The rest of the world is uh, heat waving it up. We've just been raining and thundering it up. So it's a pleasure to bring the sunshine of the Mycopreneur podcast back into my life. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you back. And one of the things that I really appreciate about your body of work is the level of detail and nuance that goes into the production and the soundscapes. There's a, a lot of atmosphere to the music that you put out. And I'm sure that's quite intentional. So one of the things I've noticed is that listening to your work with really high quality headphones is a game changer. And I know that you've been diligently at work translating that to the live experience as well, which I'd like to talk about. So I listened to some of the advanced copy of Dissolve and I was nearly instantaneously put into a trance state thanks to this level of detail and nuance. I'm sure that the five milligrams of cannabis that I had also had something to do with that. But I'm curious, is that your goal with this project is to induce a sort of trance state in the listener? Or what is the goal of this record for you? Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, the goal, there's multiple goals, to be honest. The number one thing is for it to be functional, essentially, and for it to be like functional music. So whilst microdose music, obviously the guys at microdose, very psychedelically aligned, you know, that is the main you know, the main concept and the main drive of the label is to specifically write music that can be used in a, in a psychotherapeutic manner. So, you know, to be interacted with, with the likes of MDMA, ketamine, psilocybin, etc. But also as well, it was an autobiographical thing because essentially like when you listen to the whole thing, when it comes out, as you say, on the 28th of July, you're actually getting part of my story as well. And it was amazing to be able to actually 
blare these lines because you know obviously you know cards on the table i've benefited as have a huge amount of people have from my psychedelic healing experiences and i wanted to really kind of document that in a way but in a way that serves people in a way that really helps people to go on their own journeys as i have been fortunate enough to and as you mentioned on the headphone side of things it is to induce a slightly different state of consciousness to try and maybe switch the default mode network off and the prefrontal cortex a little bit and be able to appreciate a, a slightly different form of awareness. Uh, and again, the, the, the full version that is going to come out on August 4th, so it's available on Bandcamp on the 28th, August 4th is when it hits the streaming platforms. And if you're an Apple Music subscriber in particular, you're going to be in for a treat because I've actually mixed the album in spatial audio. So the high quality headphones will come in handy there because it is going to be a very three dimensional, very immersive experience as my live show in Miami was last year because I did that show on a, a soundscape rig as it's known, which is a three dimensional 360 surround sound rig. So again, that's another major part of what we're doing with microdose music is, you know, creating music with deep intention and deep uh, in a deep purpose, but also to actually combine real cutting edge audio technology in order to create an incredibly shifting and incredibly transformative experience for the listener. Well, that experience absolutely transferred into my own experience because just putting that headphones on, I remember I made it about three minutes in and then I said, okay, I'm going to just completely sink into my pillow right now. And that's one of my favorite aspects of listening to music is having the headphones on and going into that very relaxed state and as you mentioned shutting down of the default mode network and just kind of seeing what's there seeing that more spacious level of consciousness and you know not so focused on my immediate environment but feeling a little bit more in tune and a little going a little bit deeper into myself so if that was one of the stated goals, you absolutely hit the mark as far as I as a listener am concerned. So kudos to you on that. Now, I always like to ask people about the recording process because there's so many different schools of thought on it, right? Some artists like to decamp to a cabin in the woods and sequester themselves off from society for a while. Other people have the home studio and it's just integrated with their daily life and they're still work in and have the family and all that. And yet other people like a more collaborative process where they've got a bunch of people coming into the studio. Can you describe a little bit your recording process for Dissolve for us? Oh yeah, uh, it was uh, basically fly by the seat of my pants with my head on fire because how this album came to be was I was approached by the guys at Microdos who had a gap for a musical performance that a rather large artist, I'm just gonna leave it there, uh, couldn't fill on short notice a couple of weeks before the event and they approached me and said do you want to fill the gap and I said yes and it was one of those classic things that they always say in those in you know, Instagram motivational posts you know say yes and then figure out how to do it anyway I said yes I put the phone down and went shit <laughs> and I've basically now got to write the best part of an album in the space of two weeks so it was just this incredible rush of time poverty that brought in incredible levels of inspiration and i think that's one of the reasons why i'm very suited to working in the film world as i have done in the past because it's all insane horrible deadlines and, and we have a saying in england if you don't mind me saying which is uh, shit or get off the pot 
basically. And I have to be in that position in order to bring the best out in me. Like I have to be going over the cliff basically in order for it to kick in. And that was very much, you know, the, the process essentially. So I didn't have the luxury of time, like a lot of artists would to sit there and pick at it and try and perfect it and allow the perfectionism to take over. I didn't even have any time to allow the procrastination to kick in that normally happens because it was so time sensitive. And it was a blessing really, because I had to go with whatever came out and what came out is pr pretty much by and large, apart from one of the tracks that appears later on the album, which is a new track that I wrote just a couple of weeks ago to kind of really put the finishing touches on the, on the, the album. Everything is, is what was heard in Miami last year uh, in an enhanced and upgraded way. But the actual writing process was an insane sprint, basically, of two weeks of me alone, mostly in this studio. I was finishing stuff up in the hotel in Miami the night before and even the day of the performance. And essentially, 99% of what you're going to hear that comes out next week is is that process. Amazing. And I remember being at that live debut of the album and seeing Paul Stamets getting down. You know, you just I think we talked about this last time. It was quite an atmosphere. You're there at this open air, quite large club in Miami and just the whole dance floor is packed. And then you see Paul Stamets and Rick Doblin and, you know, all of these incredible figures who are there just getting down, getting lost in the light show and the music and all that. And I'm curious to hear about how that live show has evolved because I'm sure that you're going to be performing again in the near future, hopefully in Miami uh, in November this year. And now that you've had the better part of a year to actually enhance that, that production and the live production, can you speak a little bit about how you've been optimizing the live show and some of the technology that you've been working with? Yes, totally. So, you know, the very much Miami last year, both the DJ end of things that you've just mentioned and the more live show end of things were very much version one. And, you know, I've been also very lucky to work as a consultant for D&B Audio Technic on their soundscape systems, which I mentioned before on the surround sound type of things. It just so happens as well is that they're more club level sound systems in terms of like a regular, normal kind of stereo sound system are also among some of the best in the world. So that's why I think that night that you mentioned with, you know, Paul Stamets and Rick Doblin getting down until the wee small hours went so well because, you know, we're using this incredible company who are incredibly tuned in on sound quality and also as well, very tuned in on people's health. That is a beautiful thing that they're very aware of what kind of effect their sound systems can have on people's nervous systems. And it's one of the reasons why I kind of almost refuse to play on any other brand sound systems now because of that care. And I've had so many experiences with DB systems where I've walked off a dance floor having been at an event and I don't even feel like I've been at a club. Like I actually feel refreshed. Whereas some other places I've been around the world, I can walk out of a club and feel like I've been assaulted for six hours. So from like a health and a wellness perspective, you know, that's a big part of it as well. So, you know, optimizing sound for that. And then on the visual elements as well, you know, I'm working quite hard on increasing the visual capacity of the show. Uh, I've been partnering with this amazing platform called Volta for the past year. So the visuals you saw at that show were provided by Volta and actually it's real time audio reactive visuals 
that can be, you know, on something as small as like a small monitor all the way through to, you know, huge giant projection screens like we used in Miami. And they've been used at some of the, the biggest festivals in the world, like Glastonbury. So working hard to upgrade that. And now I've got the visual language of the album down, which is a very organic, very textural, very nature kind of dominated piece. Um, the album artwork is amazing. It was done by an amazing guy called Craig Martin. The only thing is he's got trees like growing out of my head, basically, unfortunately. So, you know, I, I now look out of place because I don't have branches where like where they're supposed to be. Um, but yeah, having that all coalesce and now the final package is here is, is a fantastic thing. And then just upgrading the user experience. Even just from the previews we've put out, we've actually had quite a few requests for actually having the album released on vinyl. So again, what I would say is any listeners would like to have a copy of the album on vinyl. They need to let us know and let me know through social media and stuff like that because you know we will do a limited run of vinyl for this if there's enough demand. So again, having that physical experience of the product of the the album and the intention and everything is something we're deeply committed to as well. Amazing! I'm a vinyl collector myself, so you got one more pre-order right there, Paul. So hopefully, some more people out there are also going to join me and and trying to create more of a demand because I love limited releases too. There's something really special about having that relationship with the artist too as well. So. You only had two weeks to record this album and of course have been mixing it with spatial audio and upgrading the live experience. But even within those two weeks, I'm always curious to know, how do you know when a song is finished? And there's multiple schools of thought on this about, you know, there's the thought of a song is never finished, it's abandoned, or a piece of art is abandoned, it's not finished. There's Prince's school of thought where he pretty much records a song in one day and it's done, like straight to tape, straight to the track. Then I know artists who take three or four years to make an album, which obviously you didn't have that luxury. And one of the perspectives I've heard is that there's always a series of peaks and valleys in a recording process. And the mark of a good artist is to finish on the highest peak, is to know, okay, it's not gonna get any better than that no matter what I do. I could throw more horns, I could put a whole horn section or string section in, it's not gonna improve this track. How do you know when a track is finished? It's a very, very good question. So I've had, I've had experiences of all of those schools, quite frankly. You know, either as an artist myself and also as a producer, engineer, sound designer working with other artists, I've had that like experience like vicariously through them, like helping their vision to come to life. I'm definitely more on the Prince side of things these days. The beautiful teaching that the two week time compression taught me was, you know, it can be as easy as this. So I had one experience with one of the tracks called Caged Bird, which is one of the pivotal parts of the record. And essentially, like, to look behind the curtain for a second, that happened in one hour because it was basically me playing one particular sound that I'd created for nine minutes and just playing chords. And then the understanding of, oh, I could put a vocal over this, so I put a, a very particular vocal over the top of it. And then sat there and listened to it and something came over me that was just like, no, it's done. I could sit here and add all kinds of stuff to this. I could pick it apart. I could try and be clever with it, but it's just done. Just leave it. Also, you don't have the time because you've got to move on. So all of those things kind of serve us. So, you know, I would definitely prefer to be more on the print side of things 
And I often think that if, it, if you are getting to, shall we say, Guns N' Roses Chinese democracy levels of procrastination, you've got a problem. And maybe you need to you know, take a step back and to you know, examine the process, so to speak, because all the best pieces of music I have made or facilitated in studios with others have been things that have happened incredibly quickly and we've just captured a moment. And and that's really what you need to kind of aim towards, I think, because no one wants to be sat there, you know, digging holes for themselves in the studio because, you know, they're trying to get the snare right or they're trying to mix, you know, you want these things to flow, essentially. So it's the flow state that's the most important thing for me when it comes to finishing tracks. Totally. And there's just so much perfectionism with a lot of artists that, you know, they can't allow themselves to walk away from a project. And sometimes that's detrimental to the flow state. So another question that's an extension of that and specifically with the album Dissolve is did you record the tracks sequentially? As in you sat down, you recorded track number one, you sat down, you recorded track number two. And I asked that because sometimes artists have a hard time deciding the track order. You know, they've got this body of work, they've got these songs. And then I know that, for example, with OK Computer, which is one of my favorite albums from Radiohead, Tom York nearly went insane trying to decide the track order because, you know, now, of course, it's an iconic album. But when he's in the studio, you're sitting down, you go, does Paranoid Android open the album or does it go track number seven? You know, so what is that process like for you when you're deciding how that flow of the album and the track order is going? Yeah, it kind of emerged organically. And that was the, the beautiful aspect of it. Because again, you know, not to kind of labor the point on the time compression that I had. Again, I didn't have the opportunity to sit there for two days and say, right, I've got to op- I've got to write the, the, the opening of the, the album. It was just, right, let's get in there. Let's see what comes out. And it will become apparent on the way. So, you know, from what I remember of that adrenaline rush of two weeks was... I kind of needed a, a statement piece to kind of get things ready. So actually the first track, ironically called Opening, um, was the first thing that I wrote and it kind of just set the scene for everything else. And you know, one of the things that I did have fortunate is that one of the tracks on the album, which is called The Prestige, which is a nod to the Christopher Nolan movie, of course, is very, it was something that I'd written previously. So it became like not so much a tempole, but I had an understanding of like where I would like this to fit in the flow of things because of what it meant. So everything else kind of got contextualized around that. And once I'd got my starting point with opening, everything else kind of came together. So, and the other thing that was really beneficial in that was understanding that there was going to be a section right in the middle of the record, which is the title track now called Dissolve is actually a 13 minute, gong piece uh, with various effects and and everything else because again part of the intention of the record is to get you to dissolve and you know anyone who's been to a sound bath or experienced like well-played gongs know that that shit will like that'll shift some energy for you and that'll dissolve some shit so you know again going back to the intention of the record it, it became a bit of a contour of like kind of start up here bring people down then move them through some stuff, get them to let go of some stuff, and get them to come out through the other side feeling a bit lighter. And then all the other pieces that I wrote became, you know, subservient, for want of a better expression, to that that contour. So then it became fairly easy to understand where different things fit. Now, moving on, because I mentioned that I wrote one track for the album, even within the last two weeks, 
I wasn't quite happy with the, one of the transitions between the prestige and the ending track. So I decided to slip in there and think about, well, what do I need to kind of like smooth this transition out and what do I need to say? So that's where I became incredibly intentional and thought about, well, you know, what do I want this to be? And how do I get from this point to this point? A, you know, from the end of this track to the beginning of this track in a way that's interesting and enhances the experience. And thankfully, it was quite a successful exercise. Sure. Now, when you're sitting down to compose, when you're, okay, I've got two weeks, I got to get this record done. Is there a particular instrument that you're most at home on with composition? For example, I would feel most comfortable composing on piano or guitar. But I talk to other people who say, oh, no, this song started off with a gong, and that's just what it is. Are you sitting down? Is there one instrument in particular that you feel like is your wheelhouse that you compose and then right, translate into another instrument or expression? I am functionally incompetent on many instruments. I'll just get that out of the way straight now. That guitar right there has not been off this shelf, off that rack in about six months. Cards on the table. So um, I would actually say that the computer itself is my instrument because I've got you know a huge background in audio engineering and music production and sound design. You know, I essentially, as somebody else put it about me, uh, watching me on a computer is a bit like watching Jimi Hendrix play a Fender Strat. It's like, it's just my instruments and I know how to get what I need out of that particular instrument. So, you know, for me, it's all these quite interesting avant-garde libraries within plugins like Contact, which is like this, you know, industry standard sampler that's used by all the big film composers and, you know, all the big music producers and, and you know, people who like, like to write electronic music. You know, it's, it's just the industry standard. And there's this particular company I want to give a shout out to that their sounds are all over this album. It's a beautiful little company in Bristol called Slate and Ash. And I used a couple of their, their instruments, one called Auras uh, and another one called Colors. And they make another one which is incredible called Cycles. And it's this amazing, beautiful, intricate, granular, synthesized soundscapes that again many 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 layers of which kind of ended up on the record so you know for me they very much those tools allowed me very quickly to kind of set the scene and get a bit of a, an environment for the album going and it's always that with me like rather than playing something on a guitar or playing something on a piano it's always uh, a mood uh, a, a vibe a texture it's that's always what begins the process for me essentially rather than any one instrument although you know you're now guilting me into getting that guitar off the wall and get practicing again it is illuminated by that sunshine out there right now which you <laughs> mentioned is so rare so that could be a sign so yeah diplo is another example of a worldwide artist who's not very functional on any instruments but the computer is his primary instrument and he plays it very well and a number of artists also are, are fitting the bill there. And I'm dating myself here by showing my antiquated songwriting process. You need an acoustic instrument, the piano forte from the 18th <laughs> century. That's what I compose on. Uh, if it's good enough for John Williams, it's good enough for you, mate. You know I mean? Big fan of John Williams, huge fan, one of the best composers out there for theatrical releases and many other things. Yeah, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about is your approach to staying ahead of the curve with the music industry. 
I think, right, you're a career musician. You've had a multi-decade career in the music industry. And that industry has changed so much since you first broke through. And, you know, even going back to the 90s, you had studios and record companies that were monopolizing the distribution models. And then, of course, there was Napster and pirating and streaming music and digital platforms. And it's just been this, like, never-ending sequence of rapid changes to you know the very core of the music industry so you're still here you've managed to have a multi-decade career how have you stayed ahead of the curve on this rapidly changing music industry yeah it's a good question i mean for me it's always been about like where can this go i'm not really interested in being part of the mainstream if you will i'm interested in how things can be pushed forward and how things can be developed again you know the the whole thing with immersive audio it's like we have we have this entire extra dimension that's available to us in sound let's use it let's push it to its absolute maximum potential and i think that's what's allowed me to have a bit of a futuristic point where you know obviously as you mentioned the cycles are getting so quick now and the development is is only getting faster of the technology and that's before we even get to the elephant in the room which is ai which of course everybody wants to talk about and it, it's it's a really interesting thing so you know for me the way i've kind of stayed relevant is by actually not seeking relevance but seeking innovation that's just been the main thing. You know, all the artists who I've worked with, whether it's Sasha on the electronic music side, Junkie XL, Tom Holkenborg on the film music side of things, none of them are interested in looking back. You know, like nostalgia is poison to these people. And I think, you know, now if you're not really on the bleeding edge, you really are being left behind. So you can't really be focused on where things are today. I think you've got to be focused on where things are going to be in five years and move in that direction. And, you know, sometimes you'll invest in things project-wise or financially or whatever, and you'll find out that you're before your time. But one of these things, one of these projects will, will come to life sooner or later. And, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, the, the album and the live show, it's a conglomeration of many different things coming together. And I think that's another thing is being able to actually play at the intersections of things. So being able to play at the intersection of immersive audio, cinematic orchestration sound design sound therapy which is something i'm fascinated in and have a qualification in and the spatial audio aspect is and psychedelic therapy of course is is so interesting because it straddles so many different disciplines so if i was going to give anyone any advice on how to stay ahead of the curve it's it's play at the intersections of things and, and see what different combinations can work and take us in directions that we never thought were possible. And come out in person to the Wonderland Conference and see Paul and me, because that's where I stay ahead of the curve is by getting belly to belly, as my friend Kevin says. He goes, get belly to belly with people, go talk to them, get out in public, you know, in these congregations of folks who are all kind of pursuing this bleeding edge. And just that that is going to keep you ahead of the curve a lot of times is learning what are people working on? Where's the pulse? How can I keep my finger on the pulse? Now, I'd be curious to hear a little bit about that elephant in the room, because as an artist, as a producer myself, I've leaned into AI, some of the tools, you know, it's kind of hard to separate the hype from the functional on the ground, what's working. And, you know, there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of hoopla around it. And of course, I think uh, 
the founder of Mind Valley says this, you're not going to be replaced by AI. You're going to be replaced by someone who knows how to use AI. So are there any functional applications that you've leaned into as far as artificial intelligence and music production? Yeah. So there's a couple of different things that I've done and I've got an overall take that I'll share. And I totally agree with, you know, what you're saying about, you know, you will be replaced by somebody who is using AI because it's a tool at the end of the day. And, you know, these things are here to either serve or to disempower. We've just got to make sure that it's more on the serve element. So for me on the AI side of things, I've definitely employed ChatGPT uh, in a couple of different ways. Fascinatingly, a great friend of mine called David Boyle has written a number of different books called Prompt. And you can find those over at prompt.mbam for mother. And uh, they're incredible detailed analyses of how you can use chat GPT in a no number of different aspects. And I contributed quite a lot to the, the, the music version of that. Um, so I've got it to basically be like, we have a cleaning product in the UK called Mr. Muscle and the tagline is loves the jobs you hate. And I basically employ chat GPT, like Mr. Muscle, like it loves the jobs I hate. I don't want to write the press release for my album. I don't want to have to do this, that, and the other. I'll do. I'll get ChatGPT to write the first draft, and then I'll tighten it up and everything else, and that's fine. On a creative aspect, ChatGPT has been quite interesting because I've actually said to it on a couple of occasions, "Hey, why don't you give me a a chord progression that sounds like Hans Zimmer?" And it will come back with like four or five chord progressions that Hans Zimmer might use. Or on the dance music side of things, I've, I've said to it recently, there's a, a huge melodic techno act called Tale of Us. And just like for shits and giggles one night, I just said, hey, give me a chord progression that sounds like Tale of Us. And give me this chord progression and played it on the keyboard. And I'm like, eh, yeah, that's not actually too bad. And I can use that as a jumping off point if I'm feeling low on inspiration. So I think it's great for things like writer's block. It's also great for sound design. I've just recently made a, a kit of of uh, drum machine samples for a company that I work with called ADSR Sounds, fantastic company. And what I did is I used a, a product called uh, Emergent Drums, which basically you can feed the drum sounds that you've made into it. And an AI algorithm will twist them into something else. So I was able to take like, let's say like a door knock and turn it into a snare using AI. And I love that approach. And the reason why I, I use that tool particularly is because they have an ethical AI standpoint. Like it's literally, it's on this company's website. There's a whole ethical AI kind of policy that they have that they want to use AI in order to empower artists rather than say, for example, what the writers and what the actors on strike in Hollywood right now are really concerned with, which is being replaced by an AI. And I think that's the most important aspect. It's definitely not going away. My first standpoint was to be completely, you know, a refuse Nick about it. I'd read Dune far too many times when I was a kid. So I was very much against any machine that is in the likeness of a human mind, shall we say. And I could see the potential to disempower. I think what's going to happen is that um, Simon Pegg, actually from the Mission Impossible movies, was asked about this a few days ago. And he had an amazing take on it. He said, AI will only ever be able to create mediocrity because it can only really aggregate what's already been created you know it hasn't had a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever it is that you're into it you know it's never had its heart broken 
So it's never going to be able to create great art. So all we as artists have to do is fight against that mediocrity. And that's where I think the real positive take is, is that I think it's going to force us all to create great, unique pieces of art. And we're going to be forced into a situation where the AI is going to do all the generic shit. And there's going to be no room for us to do generic stuff. So it's going to force us all to innovate in order to be able to be artists and stand out. And I think that's where the great benefit is going to be. That's such a good take. I saw a sign at the Hollywood SAG after strike saying, AI doesn't have childhood trauma, right? Like so much of the good stuff comes from that sense of transforming trauma. Now, speaking of pursuing the cutting edge and just creating something that doesn't exist yet, last time I had you on the podcast, you were en route to Saudi Arabia to the XP Music Futures Conference. And I mentioned that I have lived in Saudi Arabia never in my wildest dreams back in 2012 and 2013 did I imagine there would be an international music conference bringing international DJs to Saudi Arabia. And, and yet there you were. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience there at the conference and where you see this nascent music industry in the Middle East headed? Honestly, it was a really fascinating time. And, you know, I was only there for four days. So, you know, I could only take a, you know, take a bit of a picture of, of what I experienced while I was there, but it was a beautiful experience. I've got to say it. And it was a, a real education in a lot of different ways. And it was one of those situations where, and you can appreciate this, Dennis, because you travel so much. There's, there's a moment where you can really let loose your, you know, inner Anthony Bourdain spirit animal where, you know, you can walk a mile in their shoes and, you can you know, wear their clothes and eat their food and stuff like that. So I made sure, because I have a, a great friend called Bassam, he's an amazing organic house producer called Blue Paper, and we spent a lot of time together, and we we were both at pains to kind of like get off the beaten track. So you know, he'd pick me up from my hotel, and we'd disappear into like the old town of Riyadh and, you know, have like an authentic experience. And, you know, what I was really struck by was just like how friendly people were and how welcoming and how the hospitality is just so off the scale there. And it, it seemed to make mean a lot for people for, you know, me to be there. Um, and from like, obviously to go and have a direct experience. I'm a true believer in the fact that you can't really have an opinion about any place in the world until you've actually been and had that experience and put your feet on the floor. And, you know, again, like the Anthony Bourdain thing, have an authentic experience with real people. And that's exactly what I tried to do. And the artist development masterclass that I gave as part of that XP Futures event, which was a fantastic event, was really, really inspirational because I met a load of Saudi kids who are basically exactly the same as us. Like they're hungry, they're young, they want to express themselves, they want to go out into the world and be artists and spread love and spread expression and authenticity. And, and that's a beautiful thing, you know? So I had a fantastic time. And I think, you know, Saudi Arabia is an incredibly interesting place. It's undergoing a rapid and wild and fundamental transformation in its role, not only to its own people, but in the world at large. And I think it's going to be a very interesting place to keep an eye on in the, in the next five to 10 years, because you could almost feel the land or the, the earth shifting you could feel the transformation underneath your feet. You really could. And, you know, a lot of people in that part of the world, they're very hungry for that kind of change. 
So I think, obviously, change doesn't happen overnight. But I think in 10 years, as a country, Saudi Arabia is potentially going to be completely unrecognizable to where it is today. And it's going to be all the better for it and better for the world. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Looking forward to getting back there in the near future. So let's bring it back to the album Dissolve, as I've only got a few more questions for you. Myself as a composer, sometimes a song will just become one of your favorites. And you love all your songs. They're all your babies. But for whatever reason, one just stands out. You're like, this one is really special. And I've got a song like that, that I think it's special because, as you said, with a few of your tracks, it just kind of organically emerged. I didn't have to try to write it. It was like the song was already fully formed. It was, you know, amazingly easy to birth. And then I just feel a great sense of connection to this particular track. Do you have any tracks that have emerged from Dissolve as being a personal favorite on the album? Yeah, I'll I'll let you in on something that I've not actually told anyone before. So I was in the process of finishing the album and of course sweating over the details and everything else. So I thought, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a listen to the whole thing all the way through and was you know, pretty happy with all of it. And I was a bit worried that the, the last track on the album, which is called Emergence of Light, I was a bit worried that it was going to be a bit cheesy. You know, it was like it was going to be a bit of a schmaltzy end after like a, a serious journey. And I listened to it and I had this incredible sensation of like receiving my own music as if I had not written it. Like I'm basically like an audience member, like I'm listening to it like it was played to me essentially. And I've got to admit, like I shed a tear on a couple of occasions listening to it and it was like, yeah, that, yeah, I've hit the spot with that. Yeah, so... I think out of everything, I think if, if I was going to pinpoint a couple of tracks, the one that I mentioned before, Caged Bird, for very autobiographical reasons, uh, because it, it really expresses a very fundamental truth about who I was and, and, and who I'm kind of you know moving away from as a person, how I'm evolving. That's one favorite of it. But in terms of like just pure emotional reaction, I've got to say the final track on the album, Emergence of Light, is, is has become a real favorite for me. So I suppose last question that I have for you today is, can you talk a little bit about the distribution model? You mentioned it's coming out on SoundCloud first, and then there's a full proper release August 4th. What are some of the different outlets that this music is coming out through, and what's the release strategy here? So in terms of like the release, it's actually going to be out on Bandcamp. It's actually out on Bandcamp right now on pre-order. So... It's been out on Bandcamp for about a week and we've had an amazing amount of pre-orders. I'm so happy with like how it's been received. And if you head over to the, you know, microdosemusic.bandcamp.com uh, page, you'll find that the, uh, the whole album is there to pre-order. You'll get that on release day. And then a couple of the tracks, the first track opening and another track called The Tower are available to listen to in full. So you can head over there, have a listen if you like what you hear. You can obviously, you know, order the whole thing. We're going to offer a bonus. And the 28th of July is a very deliberate thing. And using Bandcamp is a very deliberate thing because they are very much decisively on the artist's side. The labels and artists who are releasing music on Bandcamp yet to keep anywhere between like 82 to 88% of the sale. So it's just, you know, Bandcamp's little cut and then a PayPal fee and that's it and then every last friday of the month they have something called bank camp friday which bank camp waive their fees for that day 
So it's kind of become like the de facto, like big deal record launch release day for, you know, independent artists in that space. So we're very deliberately using Bandcamp as an exclusive platform before we move into streaming. And then, as you mentioned, August 4th is when you can get it on all the regular streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, in Dolby Atmos, as we talked about, you know, Amazon, Tidal, all of them, basically. So it's going to have a much wider distribution after that point. And then, as I said before, you know, if people give us enough indications of interest, then we're open to doing more physical copies. So vinyl, possibly CDs, if people ask for that. It's going to be co-creative with our audience at the end of the day. And even if we do do vinyl, uh, we're going to do it through Bandcamp because they've got amazing facilities with being able to do like a, a, almost like a Kickstarter campaign where, you know, the, the, the cost of the vinyl production can be, you know, offset by the amount of indications of interest. So we're going to we're going to hop on that very, very soon. And again, like we were talking about cutting edge and innovation, you know, we're looking at developing a couple of NFTs around this as well, but NFTs that have real utility and have real collectability as well. So they'll actually, you know, be, you know, not a worthless board ape yacht club thing within a year because you've basically just bought a JPEG. You know, we actually want to do something a bit more rich and a bit more experiential with that. And obviously with the Wonderland conference and everything Microdose do, we've got multiple opportunities on multiple verticals to be able to do some interesting stuff with that. So best to keep it locked to microdose on all of the channels and we'll be sharing details of all of that soon wonderful now after august 4th what's coming next for you hopefully a couple weeks off at least but you also seem like the type that wouldn't want to kick his feet up on a beach in ibiza you'd rather be behind the decks at the club there so what's coming next after august 4th for you so i'm straight back in the studio to be honest like after a little break there's another album coming on microdose music uh, which is going to be out the week of the wonderland conference in november uh, that's an album for another artist uh, that i've been producing for over a year now the irony is is that i've probably put about 10 times more work into that album than my own which is quite a funny thing to consider so we've got a number of albums coming on microdose music so like this first release is literally just the beginning so you know we've got a release coming i think at the end of september with a hollywood film composer called jeff rona who is a great friend and mentor to me he's got a fantastic album coming out and then this amazing album in november which is going to be a much more you know uh, eclectic affair there's going to be icaros which we've had permission to record from tribes in the jungle there's full-on medicine songs there's more electronic stuff it's just going to be a whole heap of a mixed bag essentially it's like how did i explain to somebody the other day it's like psychedelic wings Basically, it's like we've put the, you know, medicine music mega band together and, you know, it should be quite an interesting experience for people. And then, yeah, straight on through Wonderland in November and uh, Amsterdam dance event is coming up in October, which I will be at, which will be fantastic. So I'll be, you know, shopping all of the microdose stuff and there might be more stuff coming there. And then in the future, it's going to be, again, multiple activations, lots of albums, lots of amazing music coming out. We're going to start doing hopefully some events and some festival activations in the next six to 12 months. 
So yeah, it's it's going to be a very wide and very expansive project. Will Microdose Music, and I'm excited to be part of it. Excited to be part of it too. Here, just you know, following along with everything, and excited to see you again in Miami. Paul Nolan of Microdose Music, thanks a lot for coming back on the podcast. You're welcome back anytime. Let's make it a three-peat in the future whenever you have something else to report on. So thanks a lot. Have a lovely day. Enjoy the sunshine. Likewise, dude. Very, very happy to be back and can't wait to see you and give you the big hug in November, my friend. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Micopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micopreneur Podcast.